0: So we'll start into the message this morning. The way I want to start is is this, because I think we can all identify with this, because I think all of us, we can look back over our lives and we can recognize choices that we made that we are so, so thankful that we made. We made these choices and if we could go back and do it all over again, we'd make those choices again and we're just so thankful that we did and we didn't realize at the time how extraordinary those choices were. We didn't realize how extraordinary the impact, how, how the extraordinary those choices would impact our lives later on. But now, this far down the road, we can look back on those choices and we are so, so thankful that we made those choices. And on the flip side, I think all of us can look back over our lives and recognize choices that we made that still to this day we regret. And if we could go back and change them, we would in a heartbeat. And in those moments when we made those choices, we had no idea how much and what an extraordinary way they would impact our lives. But from this vantage point now, we can. And If we could go back and change them, we would. And here's the thing is that that. This, this far out in the future with those things so far behind us, from the vantage point that we have now, we can look back in those, at those choices and we can recognize the extraordinary impact they had in our lives. But in the moment, in the moment when we made those choices, they just seemed so ordinary. It just seemed so inconsequential. And we had no idea at the time how much actually was hanging in the balance. And it's not until now, looking back, that we recognize how extraordinary those turning points were. And we feel like if we could distinguish those moments in our life, if we could distinguish those ordinary moments from the extraordinary moments, we would do a better job of making the, I'm so glad I made that choice kind of choices. And we feel like we would make more of those, I'm so glad I made that choice kind of choices. If we could just recognize what those moments are. And here's what I want to tee up and suggest this morning, because I believe this so much. I believe that all of the ordinary, all of the ordinary has the potential to be extraordinary. And at the end of the message, you can decide whether or not you agree with that. But anyway, I believe it. I believe that all of the ordinary has the potential to become extraordinary extraordinary. And what I want to point us towards this morning is a part of the Christmas story that we've heard over and over and over again. And we've heard it so many times that we kind of just tend to assume that it's the way that it had to have happened, that it couldn't have happened any other way. And what we don't realize as a result of that is how much of the Christmas story Hung in the balance of this one choice that in the moment there was no way of knowing how extraordinary this choice was. But if this choice hadn't been made, the Christmas story that we know wouldn't be the Christmas story that we know. So we're going to take a look at that passage that's in the book of Luke, and we'll have the verses up here on the screen. But just to give you an intro to the book of Luke, the book of Luke is uncoincidentally written by someone named Luke, who was a physician in the first century, who had become a follower of Jesus, because he had interacted with people who met and interacted with the resurrected Jesus. He had met eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus, became convinced of who Jesus was, and became a follower of Jesus. And so he took it upon himself to write an account of the life of Jesus, because when you understand that someone lived and predicted their death and resurrection and then pulled it off, that's someone worth writing a book about. So he undertook uh, an investigation to meet with the eyewitnesses to write up this account of the life of Jesus. And here's the really interesting thing about that, is he wrote this and he sent this out to go public when other eyewitnesses of Jesus' life We're still alive. And if you peer back into history, here's what you don't find. You don't find anyone who, at that time, read Luke's account and then stood up and raised their hand and said, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. I was there. I saw that. That's not true. There are no counter accounts. Luke's account, and there were people who saw Jesus, and there were people who hated Jesus, but none of them disputed what Luke claimed in this account. And maybe, just maybe, because they knew they couldn't dispute the facts that came from the first-hand witnesses of the life of Jesus. So here's what the eyewitnesses said about Jesus' birth. He said, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Next one. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So here we're introduced to Joseph and Mary, who were pledged to be married, which is kind of like engagement today, but a little bit more bonding, and could only be broken through divorce, but they weren't actually married yet, so there was no sexual union. It was just kind of like engagement, but like engagement plus. And and Joseph and Mary are just these very, very, as far as we can tell, the only place we read about them is in the biblical accounts. And as far as we can tell, they're absolutely ordinary. They're like the epitome of ordinary, living in this ordinary place, leading these ordinary lives. In fact, they live in in, um, Nazareth, which is later on when, when they find out that Jesus was born in Nazareth, they're like, does anything good? come from Nazareth because it's just so ordinary, you wouldn't expect it there. And it's like if the Messiah came from Thurmont, like nobody would expect that because it's just not because it's bad, it's just so ordinary. And Joseph was ordinary, he was just a carpenter, and Mary was ordinary, she was this young girl pledged to be married, she was probably a teenager, which was the customary age for a, for a young girl to get married, it was just ordinary, 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 so we have really no idea why God chose Mary. Why it was out of all the young girls who were pledged to be married or were married at that time, we have no idea really why exactly it was that God chose Mary because she just seems nothing but ordinary. And in fact, she probably thought the same thing, which is why she responded this way. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Because here's the thing. Mary didn't see this coming because nobody saw this coming. Nobody was expecting this. We look back at this time now, we look at our calendar now, and the years count down to Jesus' birth. You know, it goes 500, 200, 5, 3, 4, 4, 3, 2, 1. I can count backwards. 4, 3, 2, 1, Christ is born. But that's not how the years went back then. There was nobody sitting around in like 1 BC saying like, it's one year before Christ. Like, it should be coming soon. You know, that wasn't how it worked back then. So nobody saw this coming. And on top of that, God's people hadn't heard from God in over 400 years. It had been, there had been no signs, no miracles, no prophets, no books of Scripture written. There was just silence. And so, so nobody was expecting this. Nobody was waiting for this. Least of all, Mary, this was as out of the ordinary to her then as it would be to us today. And so she responds, much like we would probably respond. Like an angel comes and visits us, we just assume we're in trouble, right? We got busted. And so Mary's a little bit worried. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, we hear that, and we hear Jesus, and we hear walking on water, and we hear the crucifixion. We hear the resurrection. We hear Christianity. When Mary heard this, she heard, you're going to give birth to a child who's going to grow up and be a great leader over God's people. You're going to give birth to a child who's going to become the Messiah. You're going to give birth to a child who's going to be a military political leader, Who's going to restore God's people? Who's going to overthrow the Roman occupiers? Who's going to restore God's kingdom of Israel on earth? So no conception, no conception of God in flesh, no conception of eternal salvation offered to all people. She didn't see that coming, and so her response makes all kinds of sense. She says, "How will this be?" Mary asked the angel, "Since I'm a virgin." Which was a legitimate question because nobody saw the virgin birth coming. Nobody was expecting that. Nobody was waiting for that to happen. There was a prophecy way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah that said there will be a sign given to you, the virgin will be with child, but it wasn't until after the birth of Jesus that people realized that that was God hundreds of years before pointing forward to what was going to happen. But at that time, nobody had picked up on that. Nobody knew that. Nobody was waiting for that. Nobody was looking for a virgin birth. Nobody was expecting it. Mary, who's expecting that there's going to be this political military leader that's going to be her child. Well, she just expects, you know, once I'm married to Joseph and once we decide to have kids, one of those kids is going to grow up and be this great leader. That's great. And the angel says, well, not quite. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be called the son of God. And here, Gabriel's trying to use the the best, most accurate, clearest language that he can think of to make this make sense to someone who can't conceive of God forming himself in her. But here's Gabriel doing his best to try to say, look, the creator of the universe is going to do something extraordinary. And you who are so ordinary, and through this process of pregnancy that is so ordinary, and in this ordinary place, God is going to do something extraordinary. It's going to be miraculous. There's not going to be any physical explanation for this. The creator of the universe has chosen to form himself in you, so that he can express himself and who he is to the entire world. God is going to do something amazing. Then he says, if you need proof of this, you can go check out your cousin Elizabeth. She's going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. If you doubt that God is in this, if you you doubt that God is at work in this, Mary, just check out your cousin Elizabeth, because God is going to take the ordinary and do something extraordinary. And then he says this, he says, for nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And this isn't a, a cold theological statement that Gabriel is making. This is personal. This is Gabriel saying, look, I've been with God from the beginning. I've seen him speak the universe into existence I've seen him part C's. I've seen him sustain life. I've seen him give life. He's like, trust me on this. Trust me, trust me. I know this is hard to believe. I know this is extraordinary. But nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with God. And the only thing that could stop God's plan from happening in this moment is Mary's response. The only one in the whole universe who can stop this plan dead in its tracks. She could have said, thank you, but no thank you. And maybe, just maybe, she had reason to. Because becoming pregnant outside of marriage was a big deal back then. It was completely unacceptable. It would have been grounds for her husband to divorce her, to break off the marriage. Her, her family likely would have rejected her. She probably wouldn't have would never have had opportunity to marry again. Her friends, relatives, everybody would scorn her and look down on her and exclude her as a promiscuous woman all the days of her life. And so for Mary, this would cost her everything, everything. And as clear as the cost was, the payoff was unclear. She had no idea how much hung in the balance of the choice that she would make next. She had no idea that this would be the creator in flesh. She had no idea that just 33 years later he would hang on a cross to die for the sins of all of humanity. She had no idea that he would offer reconciliation, mercy, grace, eternal life to all of humanity. She had no idea. The three days after his death, he would come back to life and prove God's triumph over death. She had no idea that two thousand years later we would be looking back on this event and celebrating it still. She had no idea, no idea. And yet, in that moment, here's how she responded. She said, "I'm the Lord's servant." Not because he put a gun to my head, not because I'm frightened of him, not because he's threatened me. I'm the Lord's servant, willingly, because I'm convinced of his goodness. I trust him. I'm his servant. I willingly serve him. May it be to me, as you have said. I see the cost. I know it's on the line. Nonetheless, may it be to me as you have said. I have no idea how this is going to work out. I have no idea where you're going with this, God. Nonetheless, may it be to me as you have said. And because she trusted God in that moment, God took ordinary her in her ordinary life through this ordinary process and did something extraordinary. He formed his son and her through whom he expressed his heart, his love, his generosity, his mercy, his grace to a lost and broken and dying world that so desperately needed to get a glimpse of God. And because she trusted him, because she trusted him, her trust, allowed the ordinary to become extraordinary. And just 50 years after this event, another Jew who had persecuted followers of Jesus and then had become a follower of Jesus himself was writing a letter to another group of followers of Jesus. And he was trying to get them to understand what it truly means to trust God. And he's going to lengths trying to explain this to them. And then he points back to that event. He he, he points back to that first Christmas. And here's what he says. He says, but when the set time had fully come, When the set time had fully come, when the conditions were perfect, when God had the world right where he wanted it, when everything was in place and God knew the most important news on earth wasn't going to slip through the cracks of history. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. God formed his son. He did this extraordinary thing, this ordinary process. His son, born under the law to redeem to win back, to reconnect, to regain what was lost, to redeem those born under the law. That's us, born under the law, born with the law of God inscribed on our hearts, but knowing that at our best we can't live by it and we fall short over and over again, that God sent his son born under the law to redeem us, that we might receive adoption to sonship, that God came and formed his son and this woman, to express himself to the world, to show us what he's like, to invite us to know him as our heavenly father. And just like every other father, our heavenly father wants more than anything else for us to trust him. And then just a couple lines later, Paul says this. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, which is apparently very painful, not having gone through it, but having seen it, it appears to be very, very painful. (laughs) Paul says, for whom I am again in the pains of child, and and that's a painful thing, but it has a goal. It has a goal. So Paul's saying, I'm I'm going through this pain. I'm, I'm putting myself on the line. I'm going to such lengths, but I have a goal. I have this desire. There's this thing that I'm convinced of, that I'm not just convinced of it of myself, but I'm convinced that this is what God wants for you. And so I'm going to the greatest lengths possible for this, for this, until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. Now, wait a minute, Paul, because this sounds a little bit like Christmas. I mean, Christ formed in us because that sounds like the Christmas story. And if we'd asked Paul, he might have said, yeah, you know what? You're actually right. It does sound like that because you know what? God went to this ordinary person and wanted through this ordinary process to do something extraordinary, to form his son and her because there was a world that needed to see it. And it depended on her trusting him. And he said, you know what? It's the same thing here. There is a God who comes to ordinary you and ordinary me and our ordinary lives and he wants to form his son in us. He wants to conform us to the image of Jesus because there's a world who desperately needs to see it. And if Paul had been there with them in person, and if there had been Jews present, then God, would, Paul would have probably looked at them and been like, come on, guys, you remember this. This is like Book 1, Chapter 1 stuff. And he had pulled out his Bible app and been like, come on. Genesis 1, remember that? Remember when God said that he created us in his image, and you weren't really sure what that meant, and you've been struggling to figure out what that was all about all of these long years? It's like, this is what it was about. and saying that God created you in his image. God created you to be like him. He created you to be loving like he's lo- loving and generous like he's generous and compassionate and patient and merciful and full of grace, that this is who God created you to be. This is who we long to be. Our hearts ache to become this. This is the reason for our insecurity because we continue to fall short of our true identity. This is why we look for fulfillment in all these other places that bring destruction and corrosion on our souls because there's this person you were created to be and until Christ is formed in you, we miss out on it. Paul Paul's saying, look, you were created in the image of God, but remember, we turned away from God, and we lost access to his presence, and then life happened. We, we hit some bumps, and got some bruises, and got some scars, and came up with ways to deal with it, and cope with it, and get over it, and get through it. As I said, along the way, the image of God in us has become distorted, but God has come, born through a woman, to show us exactly what he's like, And to show us who he created us to be. And now he comes to ordinary you and ordinary me and says, if you trust me, I will form my son in you. I will conform you to that person I created you to be until when the world looks at you, they see my son. Because this world so desperately needs it. And now 2,000 Christmases later, 2,000 Christmases later, God comes to ordinary you and ordinary me. And he wants to form his son in you. And it depends on you and me deciding whether or not we will trust him. And if we do, God promises, he promises, and nothing is impossible for God. He promises that he will do something extraordinary. That he will form his son in us and it doesn't happen with the broad sweep of God's magic wand it happens in the moment to moment day to day ordinariness of our lives and here's why I think a lot of us tend to miss out on this I think a lot of followers of Christ fall short of this because we misunderstand trust we miss it we we hear trust and we think back to that decision that we made on that high school retreat. We think trust and we think back to that decision that we made at that service that one time, that prayer that we prayed or when we agreed that God existed and that he was good. We think back to this moment when we hear trust. And what we need to hear is that trust is active. Trust is moment to moment. Trust is day to day. Here's the difference. When I tell my kids that I want them to brush their teeth, I tell them it's because if they don't, Their teeth will actually start to decay. Like bacteria will start to form in their teeth, causing their teeth to decay, which cause cavities and all kinds of bad problems that they don't want. And because I'm their dad and I love them and I want what's best for them, I don't want that to happen to them because I know the pain and agony that that causes and I don't want it. It's not that I'm threatening them with cavities. It's not that I'm saying, if you don't brush your teeth, I'm going to give you cavities. I'm saying there are natural principles at work here. We just trust me? And here's what I don't want. I don't want them to come back to me and say, you know what, Dad, I agree with your reasoning. Your science is good. I'm on board with all of that, but you know what? I haven't brushed my teeth in five days, and look, they're all fine. No pain, no problems. And of course there are, because it takes time, right? You don't get a cavity right away because you didn't brush your teeth last night. Here's what I also don't want for my kids. I don't want them to stomp off to the bathroom and brush their teeth grudgingly because apparently that's what makes the old man happy. Because that's, that's not trust either. What I want is for them to say, you know what, Dad? I believe you're right. You've demonstrated that you actually do care about me. And I believe what you're saying. So I'm going to choose to brush my teeth because I believe that there are natural forces at work in this world that if I don't brush my teeth, the the result will be corrosion and damage. That's what I want. I want them to trust me. I think think a lot of us get confused about that when it comes to God. And God says, "Look, look, there are things over here that I don't want you involved in. I don't want you to do these things because when you do these things, they're just natural consequences. It causes corrosion to your soul and you don't feel it in the moment. You don't know that it's happening but little by little over time, this is damaging you and it's preventing my son from being formed in you because there's someone I'm creating you to be and if you do this over here, it's gonna prevent it. And God says, but there are things over here that when you do these things, When you engage in these things and make these things a habit, there's a natural consequence where you grow and you develop and the person I created you to be and my son becomes formed in you. And they're every day, moment to moment, day to day kinds of things. God's saying, look, 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 look. I don't want you treating your wife that way anymore. I don't want you making those kinds of decisions at work anymore. That's not the ethical way to run a business. God's saying, I don't want you to talk to your kids that way anymore. God's saying, I don't want you to look at those kinds of things online anymore. God's saying, I don't want you to entertain those kinds of thoughts anymore. I want you to stay away from that because when you allow yourself to engage in it, it's deteriorating my image in you." And not only do you miss out on the life that I created you for, but the world misses out on the image of my son that I'm trying to conform you to, that I'm trying to create in you. Will you trust me? Will you trust when I say, stay away from these things? Will you just trust me that they're not good for you? And when I say, do these things over here, will, will you just, will you trust me? And I think some of us, there's some of us here, and we can take a, Look, and we know the things in our lives that don't line up with what God wants for us. And we can't just keep ignoring them and passing them over. We've got to confront that. Maybe this morning is the time to confront that where you have to ask yourself, if I'm not willing to trust God in this area, do I really trust him? If God is saying, stop this, if God is saying, start that, and I'm not willing to do it, do I trust him? I think maybe for a lot of us, we understand all that. We, we get that. And we know that, that, that trusting God means that we actually do what he says. that we, we obey him. When he says not to do something, we avoid it. When he says to do something, we start it. But then we get to these seasons that a lot of us are in right now. These seasons, where we're obeying God and we're doing what he says but we don't see where it's going. In fact, it seems like we're just beating our heads against a wall, and we can't see the finish line. And we just, we're at that breaking point where it's like, what's the point? What's the point? I don't see where this is going. I was helping my son with his math work the other day. And it was this set of problems called challenge problems, and I love them because the goal behind them is that these problems are problems that the student has never seen before, and it forces them to come up with novel ways of solving the problem. Um, And it just forces, like, this creative problem solving, which I love. It's meant to expand their um, creative analytical kinds of thinking. I love these problems. So my son's working on these problems, and they're, they're hard. They're hard for me. Anyway... And he's getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and he keeps coming to me saying dad can you just help me solve like what is the first step what's the second step like how am i supposed to do this i'm like pal just, just keep thinking through it just keep looking at it rereading it just come up with different ways that you think might be good ways to solve it it's not coming this isn't about coming up with the right answer it's about figuring out what the process is to produce the answer and he's just getting frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and finally it's like he's at his breaking point point. and i said Do you you understand what the point of these problems are? Do you know what they're trying to produce? He said, yeah, it's supposed to break my heart because my dad won't help me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's where a lot of us get in these seasons. We're trusting God and trusting God and remaining obedient and we're doing what he says, but we feel like this is taking us nowhere and we're just beating our head against a wall. And for a lot of us, it's in our job. And we're just trying to be so faithful to God there, but it's just, we don't see it accomplishing anything. We don't see it producing any fruit. fruit. And it's, it just feels like it's producing more and more frustration. For some of us, it's a relationship with somebody, somebody, and we're just trying to be faithful to God with this relationship, but it just doesn't seem to be going anywhere. For some of us, it's just a marriage. We're trying to stay so faithful to God, but... But we don't see the finish line. We don't see where it's going. It doesn't seem to be producing anything. And I think if God could, he would whisper in our ears, and he would say, look, look, look. It's not about the finish line. It's not about the outcome. It's about the process. You remain faithful to me in this season right now. You keep yourself in the fire. I'm going to produce something in you. I'm going to form my son in you. If you stay obedient to this process, I'm in work at this. You keep struggling. You keep trying to figure this out. And I will grow in you capacities that you can't even imagine right now. There is potential in you. My potential for my son to be formed in you, this potential that you can't even imagine. I'm going to transform you into a creature like this world has never seen if you will remain faithful to me in this process right now because I'm forming my son in you. And for some of us here this morning, that is what we need to walk out of here with is this recognition that it's not about the finish line. It's not about this grand thing that God's trying to produce. It's about the process. And through the process, God Who never gets tired, who never fails, who is relentless and never gives up, will form his son in you. And then I think there's some of us. There's some of us, and we have been following Christ a long time and have a lot of years under our belt. And here's what I think can happen Christian author, writer C.S. Lewis uh, uses this analogy of a house. He says, you know, we come to God because our house is just in shambles. You know, it's leaking, the pipes are clogged, it's not in good shape. So we come to God because we want him to fix it up. So we come to God, and God's faithful. He does it. He fixes the leaks. He fixes the clogs. Everything's working fine. And we feel good. But then God comes back the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And God has permits to dig up the foundation. And God has permits to tear out all the wiring. And God has permits to tear down the walls. And he keeps knocking on our door. And we're like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because all I wanted was a nice, neat little house that compared well to the house next to me. I'm not looking for all that. And God says, I know, I know. But I am going to build a palace because I myself intend to live in you. And I'm not gonna stop until the world can see my son in you. And I think as we go on and on in our Christian life, you know, it's exciting at first, and we get rid of all that like outward garbage at first, like all the, all the sin and stuff that the world can see, like all of that we shed off, and we kind of think, man, I'm looking a lot like Jesus. And then we realize, and then we realize, that was the easy part. And then we hit the hard part. Then it's, let's deal with that insecurity. Then it's, let's deal with that control. All that troll that you're trying to maintain, and that you're trying to manipulate with situations and the people in your life. Let's deal with that part now. And that stuff, that stuff doesn't go so easily. That stuff is year by year by year. And God keeps knocking on our door with his permit saying, we got to fix this because you don't look quite like my son. (laughs) yet. And we can't as we go on as followers of Christ. We can never, never, never take our foot off the gas. We can't let up. We can't let up because God God offers to form his son in us. And he's so patient. He'll take as long as we need and he'll use every tool at his disposal to do it. But we can't let up. And some of us, some of us, need to regain that discipline of obedience. Like when we started out our walk with Christ and we had that mentality of, God, whatever you call me to today, I will obey you in that. And we do it and he changes us, but then we get to this point where it's just, God keeps coming back with thing after thing and we find it's easy to ignore and put them off. And I think what God wants a lot of us to hear this morning is no, it's time to regain the discipline of obedience. I want you to get that mentality that you had at first where all you wanted was to obey me. All you wanted was to see what I would do in your life. He said, and I will do it. And I will take ordinary you through ordinary processes in your ordinary situation. And I will do something Extraordinary. I'll form my son and you so that you can experience the life that I created to experience, to experience, but not just because of that, because there is a lost, broken, and dying world that is desperate, desperate to see me and you. And it depends. It depends on how we respond and whether or not we trust him. Because if we trust, Trust allows the ordinary to become extraordinary. So we're going to close out with one last song this morning, and that's a song, if you were here a couple months ago, we did a series called Above the Noise, and the song was called The Great I Am. And if you were here, you probably remember that tremendous moment when all of us were on our feet singing because we were just together, Blown away and in awe of this God who is so, who seems at times so out of reach and incomprehensible, yet who has made himself so approachable and understandable in the person of Jesus. This God who's proven that he's humble, that he's gentle. We don't have to be afraid or frightened of him, who's come to us as a child so that we can draw near to him, who's proven his goodness and invites us to trust him, the great I am. And the great I am invites us to trust him so that he can form his son in us. And I just invite everybody to join in this morning as we reflect on how worthy he is, this good and loving God who wants to share himself in us and through us. Will you join us? thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, your love, that you would choose ordinary, everyday people just like us to be the vessels of your love and your grace and your mercy to this world. And may we all respond to you this Christmas by saying, may it be to us as you have said. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.